2: AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled.
0: Welcome to the show, friends and neighbors, fellow would-be Antarctic explorers. My name is Ben. My name is Noel.
1: Ben, are you a fan of fruitcake?
0: I am a fan of food history, Noel, and I am a fan of food mysteries. Uh, but fruitcake itself, I don't have the same problem with it a lot of people have. Yeah. I'm just not super, you know, I don't lay awake at night dreaming of it. Oh, yeah. I, I, do you think anyone does? I feel like there's some guy in England... Mm I feel like there's one guy in England.
1: It has such a storied history, the the confection itself, but it really has this reputation as just being something you could build a fireplace out of. Mm-hmm. Um, did you see Coco, the new Pixar movie? I think we talked about this in a previous episode.
0: I have not, but I do remember the conversation you and I had, uh, particularly about the, the opening act for that film.
1: Yes, the much maligned uh, Frozen-themed featurette that involved uh, Olaf, the uh, reanimated snowman, wandering around the snowy uh, woodland tundra of Arendelle in search of Christmas tradition. And one joke that... that wait, wait
0: in search of Christmas tradition?
1: Yeah, he's basically trying to help out uh, Anna and Elsa and help them find... A tradition because they don't have any family Christmas traditions. So the whole short is him wandering around, talking to different people in the town about what their Christmas traditions are in song form. But one joke that that I thought kind of landed is there's this fruitcake that is just indestructible, and it you know, it gets burned, mm-hmm. it gets you know run over by a sled, it even gets uh, taken by a hawk, and eventually dumped back into the scene. So you know, fruitcake has this reputation as being this bulletproof. Mm -hmm. material, and that is very much the case with today's story.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, Today's story puts a little truth to the stereotype people have about fruitcake, often considered one of the uh, more lowly desserts of the world, uh, a combination of candied fruit, nuts, and spices, often heavy with rum and brandy, it turns out, as ridiculous as it might sound, There is some sand to the rumor. A 106-year-old fruitcake still in the original box was discovered at an outpost in Victoria Land, East Antarctica.
1: That's right, and according to the Antarctic Heritage Trust, which is a nonprofit uh, based in New Zealand that um, seeks to preserve artifacts and history surrounding Antarctica, and a lot of that, as we talked about in our Who Solves Murders in Antarctica episode, involves researchers and expeditions. So uh, according to the trust, the cake likely dates back to the Cape Adair based, uh, northern party of Scott's Terra Nova expedition, which took place between 1910 and 1913. And that is Robert Falcon Scott.
0: Oh, you beat me. That's one of my favorite facts of this, uh, place is that guy's middle name is Falcon. Yes. Captain Robert Falcon Scott, a British Royal Navy officer uh, famous for leading two separate expeditions to the Antarctic area, the Discovery Expedition and then the Terra Nova Expedition. Uh, he set a couple of world records in his time exploring. And luckily, Antarctica is not a place that is very peopled nor very populated, so it's easier for experts to trace back uh, this fruitcake's provenance. And you're probably asking yourselves, uh, super producer Casey Pegram, Noel, Ben, how long can we regularly expect a fruitcake to last? The answer is easily three decades and still be eaten. And as Noel said, uh, this is you know, a lot of the history of Antarctica is based in research. This was found in a research station, and the fruitcake was one of about 1,500 artifacts discovered in these huts at the Cape Adair outpost.
1: An interesting point of fact about this research station um, is that it was a series of huts and they were actually the first ever built on Antarctica. So they were historical in and of themselves, even at the time. They were built in 1899 by a man named Karsten grevink who is a Norwegian explorer and then was used uh, for several of Captain Scott's expeditions mm-hmm. and also other members of his
0: party. And here's how it went down. Two months after the expedition had launched their endeavor to reach the geographic South Pole, they finally made it. It took them two months, but they made it just at the very beginning of 1912, January 17th. And when they got there, they discovered a real, real kick in the pants for explorers.
1: Yeah, they had been beaten by, I think it was mere weeks. Am Mm -hmm. I right? Been by a Norwegian expedition.
0: Yeah, 33 days prior to Scott's expedition reaching the pole, uh, an expedition by a Norwegian operative – I don't know why I'm saying it like he's a spy uh, – named Roald Amundsen had reached the pole. And uh, as an additional complication, an additional and terrible kick in the pants, blizzards delayed the return and this delay became permanent.
1: Yeah, it's true. They did not make it back alive, but they did have some pretty uh, lap of luxury uh, as far as Antarctic expeditions go mm-hmm. moments um, prior to that in these huts that we talked about earlier. There's a fantastic image on an article from How Stuff Works by Laurie L. Dove that pictures Scott and his team gathered around a gramophone, listening to music, puffing on their pipes. Uh, and then I found an article from the BBC with another image inside where they're gathered around a table with beer and uh, all kinds of different foods. And they apparently had access to fresh bread, rhubarb pie, and they would make their own stews and curries mm-hmm. a lot of times out of seal meat. That's according to Joseph Colson um, in the article, Scott's Antarctic arctic diet stewed penguin and champagne so right stewed penguin um, apparently they used penguin blubber to try to cook with but they realized that, that was a pretty foul tasting cooking oil so they kind of ditched that but they would have several courses to their meals including things like roast beef turtle soup and stewed penguin breast in various jellies and crystallized ginger, and they had champagne flowing. So, you know, at least when they were trudging to their death through the frozen wasteland, they could, you know, have some fond memories of, of hanging out and, you know, partying down with, with penguin meat and champagne.
0: Mm-hmm. Especially in uh, such a brutal Antarctic climate. It's, it's tough to fathom how important even the smallest luxuries can become. Uh, There's a reason they took fruitcake as well, because it has this staying power. And although fruitcake is often a punchline in conversations in here in 2017, as we record this, oh, at the very end of 2017, uh, for ages past, fruitcake was both a reliable foodstuff And it was, itself, it seemed to be luxurious. According to an article in the Smithsonian by Jesse Rhodes, ancient Romans made something that was fruitcake-esque, a mishmash of barley, pomegranate seeds, nuts, and raisins. And the descriptions of it all make it sound kind of like an energy bar. Quick backstage peek here at the Ridiculous History office, we have a uh, an embarrassment of riches when it comes to energy bars and we're trying different ones but i got to say man maybe that's why i'm off fruit cake maybe an energy bar is too close the modern fruit cake can be traced back to the middle ages because dried fruits became more widely available and fruited breads entered western european cuisine it's not a fig newton it's fruited cake <laughs> yes exactly exactly this episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen introducing Uber teen accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map.
1: And, you know, I've actually been using Uber teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination.
0: That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details.
1: Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details.
0: This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's this. There's always a catch.
1: So when we heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, what's the catch?
0: So we dug in, and after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't a catch.
1: Can you believe that? Mint Mobile's got a secret sauce, babies, and it is that they sell wireless service online. And by doing so, cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet, sweet, delicious savings directly onto you. To get this new customer offer and your new three month unlimited wireless plan for just fifteen bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com/ridiculous.
0: That's mintmobile.com/ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill of fifteen bucks a month at mintmobile.com/ridiculous.
1: Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.
0: Uh, And there are different regional variations of this, but it makes sense when you are thinking from the viewpoint of an expedition, right? You want to bring stuff that you can transport easily so it doesn't weigh much and it's not going to spoil because your only other alternative is going to be a catch-as-catch-can pursuit of the resources in the area, like the penguins,
1: Lizzie Meek, who is the artifacts manager for that Antarctic Heritage Trust, um, says in a statement regarding the uh, the ancient fruitcake that it was ideal for Antarctic conditions because uh, it was high energy and it's actually still a favorite today. When people are making these kinds of journeys and it turns out that the company that manufactured this fruit cake is a company called Huntley and Palmer's, a British um, confection maker and they were very popular and they exported their products all over the world. And the company itself actually boasts that their products have turned up in some of the most unexpected places. Mm-hmm. And that is no joke. Um, when this fruitcake was discovered, folks from the trust described it as having a very, very slight rancid butter smell. But other than that, mm-hmm. it
0: was in pretty good shape. Yes, they transported this Time capsule fruitcake, for lack of a better term, to a lab in Christchurch, New Zealand. Uh, the a lab that was operated by the Canterbury Museum, and the plan is to clean the fruitcake's container, which is a tin. So they want to remove the rust from that. They want to uh, stabilize it chemically, and they want to repair the wax paper covering the cake. And then, to me, the weirdest thing is after they restore the fruitcake, they're taking it back to the hut where it was found and that's because it is considered an
1: Antarctic specially protected area mm-hmm. which i'm imagining does this mean they're recreating those conditions so that you can go check it out sort of like a moment out of time or like going to you know visit uh the boyhood home of a president or something like that
0: yeah that's a great question so specially protected areas start showing up around 1964 as part of several international agreements. And since its inception, uh, the ATCM has emphasized the need to protect sites or monuments of historic interest. So you're absolutely right. That is one of their primary goals along with, you know, um, environmental protection and conservation. So if we, as a group, you, you, me, Casey, everyone listening, and uh, a mysterious stranger that you'll meet eventually, uh, if all of us hightail it to Antarctica and we build something and hopefully we don't die. If it is deemed of historical significance, these would be the people protecting it. Exactly. And uh, the New York Times spoke
1: to a guy named Matthew Williams who manages the Reading Museum, which is where this uh, biscuit maker was headquartered and is headquartered, I believe. And he says this. Modern research has shown that the polar party's daily ration of 4,100 calories was 800 calories short and their diet was deficient in vitamins, as well as energy-producing elements. So part of their downfall Mm -hmm. was that they just kind of did the math wrong as far as what their rations were, and apparently also they focused much more on protein, too much on protein, and less on vitamins, minerals, and
0: fats. And this is hugely important. I'm really glad you brought this up because – there's a thing that can occur when you are subsisting off entirely protein. And it's something, it's called rabbit starvation. That's how I heard of it. Uh, but I think the more proper name is protein poisoning. So it is absolutely possible to feel like you're eating an adequate amount of sustenance, but slowly, uh, it's undergoing, a yeah, slowly undergoing terrible, terrible medical consequences, which, by the way, this is a dark fact, Noel, but that's one of the reasons. I think you and I talked about this on a different show, that cannibalism, survival cannibalism is such a bad decision because by the time people finally violate that taboo and consume human flesh, they're consuming the flesh of someone who is already starving and they're only really getting protein. So they just enter a different stage of starvation. Speaking of fantastic segues, I, I don't want to stop on a cannibalism note. Uh, I looked into other old foods, and I found this great article by Mental Floss uh, by an author named uh, Therese O'Neill. And folks, if you're a fan of our show, then uh, you probably already are aware of Mental Floss. We actually hang out with the founders who are super cool, Will and Mangesh. Yep. And they have a show called Part-Time Genius which we appeared on.
1: It's true. We talked about IKEA furniture, didn't that's, we? Yeah, that's they, the they, one. They quizzed us. And they were a much more kind, gentle quiz master than, mm-hmm. um, than, than we're
0: maybe used to. Casey, can we get a little foreshadowing music? Just a little. There we go. Yeah. Noel, you're absolutely right. But first, we'll explore a couple of other examples of ancient foods. And I want to see what you think of these. So first... Wine, right? How old can wine be?
1: Isn't it like the older the better, kind of?
0: And that's what people seem to say, and sometimes if mishandled it can turn to vinegar.
1: Right, but they, people talk about a good year, and some of the ones that are like really revered are quite old.
0: Yes, so excavators in Germany found the oldest known wine that is still in a liquid state. It dates back to the Roman era. They found it in a sarcophagus along a bunch of other wine bottles that had dried up. And it's been aging for 1,600 years.
1: Jeez, do you think that would get you really, really lit? Or would the alcohol kind of diminish over that long a period?
0: Apparently, it's the latter. The alcohol content is gone after that long. So there's probably a window of time for mm-hmm. good wine. Uh, burnt British bread was discovered that was 5,500 years old. Wow. Not edible. No, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, bone soup which does sound like something i would try uh was discovered uh having turned green over its 2400 years of storage it still contained bones but they did not eat them this was discovered in china bone soup like broth the broth evaporated i see uh so they really just found the bones that have been sitting there for a while with a green gelatinous sludge of some kind yes yes uh and then people have also found beef jerky that was buried in Wanli China. Well that lasts
1: forever, right?
0: I was hoping so, man. It had a uh, it was 2000 years old and it was a black and green carbonized mess described by the archaeologists. None of the people are trying to eat this, mm. which is I guess I understand it, but out of all the old foods that you and I found when we we're looking in, into this, the fruitcake is unique because, again, despite that very slight rancid taste, it could still be edible. And one of our questions today is, what's your opinion of fruitcake? Do you think that we have been doing a disservice to this noble – noble? I don't know. To this culinary tradition?
1: You know, Ben, I, I don't think – us uh, spilling any ink over fruitcake is going to really change its <laughs> legacy. I think it's pretty well entrenched.
0: You don't think we're fruitcake influencers?
1: I don't know, man. I, I just, I just feel like it's, it's, it's day in court has passed. You know, I, 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 I feel, I feel like you know the, uh, the cultural mm-hmm. place of fruitcake is, is, is pretty, pretty solidified, and
0: nothing we say or do is going to change that. It's pretty congealed. who, who? This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map.
1: And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football. Game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in, and then I can track their progress to and from their destination.
0: That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details.
1: Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details.
0: No, this is not, however, the end of our show, is it? No, it's not.
1: And what is that ominous music?
0: Oh boy, I'm getting nervous. This seemed like such a good idea before it was actually happening. I'm scared. It's time.
3: <gasps> Jonathan Strickland! That's the quister to you guys. <laughs> oh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no welcome to the most cringe-worthy segment in all of our podcasts across all of our brands, gentlemen. Where did you even come from? I've have you actually, here? I've been under the table the whole time and Ben, you've been kicking me for the last twelve minutes. I
0: got restless legs, man. I'm sorry.
3: I noticed. <laughs> so here's the thing, gentlemen. I have decided that to truly become experts in ridiculous history, I'm going to test you. On your knowledge of truth versus fiction, I will present to you occasionally a scenario, and you must decide within the time span of three minutes oh, man. whether or not the scenario I give you is real or fiction. Now, you will be able to talk amongst yourselves. Mm. You may even pose questions toward me, the Quister, should you feel that necessary, Uh, May the
1: questions be posed in the form of questions. They
3: may be, but I'm glad you brought this up, Noel, because I think this is far too simple if I just give you a scenario and you just give me an answer. But that seems okay. But I respect you, Ben. (laughs) Oh, no. What about me? uh, I like you, Noel. Wow. So I am going to make an arbitrary rule every time I appear on this show that will pertain to that and that time only. So next time I'm here, this rule will be totally different. But today, mm. the rule is, should you wish to pose a question to me, you must preface it with the phrase, "Quister, I have a quick query, followed by your question.
0: Quister, I have a quick query. Quizster, I have a quick query. Every
3: okay. time you want to ask me a question... Now, do you have a timer ready for three minutes?
0: We do. We do.
3: Excellent. I like, I like that. It's, uh, wow, that's enormous.
0: It is a cartoonishly large timer. It
3: takes up an entire wall of the studio. I don't know how I missed it. Today. It's a grandfather timer. <laughs> yes. I will, I will point to you, Ben, to start it, but I'm going to read out the scenario first, so that way you will have a full three minutes, and feel free to answer before the three minutes are up should you feel confident. Let's do
0: this. All right.
3: Here is your scenario for this week. Gerald Jerry Scrivener not only made history, but ate it when he mistakenly consumed a tin box filled with 110-year-old chocolates, which were actually meant to be a museum piece sponsored by the St. Andrew's Preservation Trust. Begin the time.
0: Okay,
1: so he ate it? he ate it but quiz quizmaster quiz i have a quick query
3: <laughs> close enough
1: <laughs> quister. whatever did he work at the museum
0: he did okay okay so he worked at the museum
1: well, says him
0: <sighs> yeah uh,
1: like he's he's the most unreliable narrator we could possibly have here
0: quister i have a quick query yes are the answers that you give us true yes wait i didn't think that out very well did mm-hmm. i okay um Quister, I have a quick query. Yes. Could you briefly restate that?
3: Certainly. All right. Um, there was this box of chocolates. Okay, 110 the bo- years old. Boxes made out of tin. Okay. T I N. Okay. The chocolates themselves date from, well, 110 years to the point where he ate them. The actual box of chocolates was uh, first gifted to someone in 1902. And this museum employee Mm -hmm. Jerry Scrivener, Mm -hmm. Gerald to some, mistakenly consumed the chocolates thinking they were simply chocolates and not realizing they were meant to be put upon display. Okay,
1: I I would argue that uh, Jerry Gerald worked at a museum. He would know pretty well whether he was looking at an artifact like an old ancient box of chocolates or if it was something to be consumed. So I am leaning towards faults.
0: Okay, I think that's a really good point because, you know, you would expect there to be some sort of bar for, uh, employment in a museum. You would think. And not a chocolate bar. Uh, but I'm, I'm wondering because of the specificity, I'm wondering if it's true. Huh. You but know.
1: Jonathan is a very pedantic quizmaster. He He he's going to, you know, mm-hmm. down to the detail, try to trick us every chance he gets. So I I don't know. Gosh. I don't know. It rings true. Yeah. But it also, I really think Jerry Gerald, you know, if he was worth his salt as a museum employee, would know he was looking at an artifact and not a delicious treat for him to consume.
0: Also, and let's be honest, Jerry Gerald doesn't sound like the most plausible name. Jerry Gerald Scrivener.
3: Gerald is his name. Jerry is what is in air quotes.
0: Okay, man, I got to tell you, we've got 30 seconds, Noel. You didn't follow the rule, though, so you get oh, an electric shock. You're right.
3: <coughs> sorry about that. I I, oh. I was so excited to, to just follow along with your, your amazing journey.
0: Okay, uh, I I feel like it's true. Wow. Yeah, we're at an impasse.
1: I feel like it's false.
0: Do you want a deathmatch, rock, paper, scissors? seconds. Let's go. Rochambeau. Oh, all right. One, one, two, three, three, shoot. One, two,
1: three, shoot. Okay, first was scissor, scissor. That was this next Second, one was scissor, paper, me. Which means we're we got... going with false. Oh, okay. All right, because right? you false. said false. You I won. Guess so. Okay, fair
3: enough.
0: Okay, and that's our time.
3: Ah, oh, time is up, gentlemen. Congratulations. The answer is false. They're cool. Yes. Bad. In fact, the St. Andrew's Preservation Trust did have a 110-year-old tin of chocolates. They were gifted from a mother to a daughter uh, after the mother had received them as a, as a gift upon uh, King Edward's ascension to the throne, mm. handed them over to her daughter. She did the same to her daughter, so on and so forth, until they gave it to St. Andrew's Preservation Trust. It is in a museum. It is on display, uneaten. Scrivener was a complete fabrication.
0: All right, hey!
1: I hated that with every inch of my being, <laughs> but I I'm, I feel good about it.
0: That was a lot of fun. I we did not think it was going to go down to a rock, paper, scissors death match.
3: I like it because it tells me two things: one, you are both very clever, and two, I'll get you next time.
1: Now be gone,
3: demon!
0: <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, our evil quizmaster, Jonathan Strickland.
3: I can't get Can someone open the door. I can't. oh yeah. I can't open the door from the side.
0: <laughs> That's true. Well, thank you so much for coming, and Noel, I owe you a personal thanks because uh, we would have we would have gotten that incorrect on our very first time out. And God only knows what happens when when you get it wrong.
1: I, I mean, you got an electric shock just for not following his sinister mm. rules.
0: And I already had jittery legs. It's going to be a rough afternoon for me.
1: I've developed a jittery leg just from this whole thing. It has stressed me out. But we hope you guys found it at least a little bit enjoyable.
0: <laughs> it really was. Like, there was high anxiety going on there. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed it. Um This is not the last you have heard of our historical quiz-centric arch nemesis.
1: Yeah, I, I, I have a feeling he'll probably materialize again i'm still here
0: (laughs) i think he's still here and we are going to head out uh we hope you have an excellent end of the year you can find us on instagram facebook twitter uh we do not have a myspace
1: no well i am i i do still floating around out there somewhere you can look at you can look for it noel brown (laughs) myspace.com slash noel brown i was one of the first to get like a a, you know personalized url Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, I was one of the original verified MySpacers, in fact.
0: Oh wow, hey. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. I was friends with Tom.
0: Getting to know you. You wouldn't even mention that this is
1: kind of a Christmas-themed episode. Um, Holiday-themed, how about that? Because holiday. fruitcake does hold a special place. It's not even Christmas-centric. It's just like a weird thing your grandmother gives you, whatever her religion
0: is. Mm-hmm. And if you were a fan of a fruitcake and you have a really amazing fruitcake recipe, uh, send it to me. And I'll try to make it, and maybe we can all get together here in the office and give it a shot. And Yes. Yes. And we will sail. And for now, we're going to uh, was, was sail away. Save me here, man. Well,
1: sail away.
0: Sail away.
1: <laughs> sail away. <laughs> but send us your fruitcake recipes. Ridiculous at HowStuffWorks.com. All the social media stuff that Ben mentioned, except Pinterest. And uh, we hope to see you next time on a new episode of Ridiculous History. And happy holidays, everyone.